Welcome back to another episode of the Crit Dev Podcast with JT, Matt, and Corey. Today we're joined by a special guest, Eric Whitley, otherwise known as E-Dog, otherwise known as The Whitman, otherwise known as Eric. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you for having me. E-Dog. For those of you joining us, uh, we are a podcast dedicated to Warhammer Underworlds and all related content. Today we have a wide variety of topics that we wish to cover mainly because this show didn't exist until this episode. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Let's get started. So I think to start off things, uh, probably just introduce ourselves and kind of get into why we decide to, to do a podcast and uh, you know, kind of what our intent is for this. Um, I'm Matthew Martin. Uh, I've been uh, featured on Battlecast, uh, one of his videos featuring my Godsworn deck. Um, been to a couple different local tournaments and stuff like that, and just pretty active in the community in general. And uh, myself and all of our friends down here in the Atlanta, Georgia area um, really have a pretty strong core group of friends that play the game and love the game, and we really want to start giving back to the community based off of that passion and not just limit it to Warhammer Underworlds but also other games that are related to it that would also spark the interest of uh, people that are into uh, the, the same game and lifestyle. Well said, well said. By the way, did you introduce yourself? Yeah, just okay, good. Good. JT. Yeah, this is true. yeah let's, <laughs> go. let's go. Let's go, JT. Yeah. Uh, I'm JT Torrance. Uh, I'm another local player. I help run a lot of our local scene uh, from a TO perspective. I've been, you know, a GW crackhead for 20 plus years now. <laughs> so, <an> addict. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. That plastic crack, man. Um, but no, I, I got in way back in uh, the Warhammer days, picked up some corn, and never looked back. Um, well, it's the blood god. Yep, yeah, I still got that bloodthirster. <laughs> I, I, I like the competitive edge of gaming, most of all, so I, I try and stay on the bleeding edge, break things as much as I can within the rules, and those kinds of interesting ideas. Um, so I bring a fresh perspective to the group, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not competitive at all. <laughs> I'm the best. Yeah, you're the best. I think, how many shake glass trophies do you have now? I've only got like four. Only four. Only four. Only four. Only four. Uh, hi, I'm Corey. You're in my house. You've joined us for dinner. Welcome. <laughs> um, recently moved to Atlanta and joined this wonderful, wonderful meta that is the North Georgia scene. Um, Worked in an LGS for three to four years, and before then hadn't really played many board games, or tabletop games, or card games for that matter, and since then I have poured countless dollars and hours and, you know, days, years <laughs> of my life into this hobby, and I don't regret it. Uh, <clears throat> Underworlds has captured my attention, captured my uh, inspiration, captured my vision. <laughs> And I'm ready to take the world by storm. And Corey, you're kind of our our uh, our local uh, you know fabricator, so to speak. Yeah. You like to fabricate every uh, you know different things with your 3D printers and your, your your creative background. Correct. If any of you listeners go on Thingiverse and download a Night Vault organizer um, made by Kosu Create, that's me. 
I did that. <laughs> some terrain. Some terrain. Some, yeah. some nice little objective tokens. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of which, I've got those sitting on my cell, and I'm going to do some resin casts of those pretty soon, and I'll bring some for us. Which one? The objectives? Yeah. Oh, nice. So you got one through five. I want to do a one through nine, but... Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That'll be cool. Because mine uh, definitely warped. Yeah. Unfortunately, the unfortunate side effect of printing in PLA is if you leave anything in a car, yep. it quickly becomes unusable. Uh, as I found out by many of my tokens getting stuck in organizers that have shrunk. Whoops. Yeah, Georgia, Georgia Heat will kill any type of plastic you try to leave in your car. It's true. Georgia Heat will basically kill any type of motivation you have to do anything outside. It's true. Yeah. Eric, uh, how'd you get into the game? Uh, been playing overall Warhammer scene for about a year and a half now. So I'm probably the newest in the group to the whole hobby scene. Uh, Underworlds grabbed my attention mainly because it's a very competitive, fast-paced game that don't have to spend four hours playing a 40k game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, trying to find players ended up in the hardcore meta that is <laughs> North Georgia. <laughs> and that's the thing too, is that I don't come from a you know, tabletop war game background at all. Uh, you know, I grew up playing chess. I grew up playing, you know, random board games just like that with my family. But didn't get into the tabletop hobby side of it until Warhammer Underworlds was shown to me by a good buddy um, uh, named Sean Prozen that I played with down in Columbus, Georgia, about a year ago. And ever since then, it was just a home run for me. And the competitive side of it is really what captured me and keeps uh, keeps bringing me back. So. Shout yeah. out to Sean, man. Yeah. Sean, when are you coming back, buddy? Come back. <laughs> miss you. So, um, that's basically just kind of the, the intro to ourselves and, you know, our, our little backgrounds, how we got into the game. You pretty much can tell that we're all passionate about it. So, our main focus, I think, is Warhammer Underworlds. We will touch on uh, some stuff related to, like, Warcry with AOS here and there or any other random games that we see fit to talk about. But primarily, we want to focus on Warhammer Underworlds. And with that said, um, there's some recent events that have taken place that we kind of want to get into. I know for ourselves, we met a lot of members of the community that we really want to give uh, a shout out to uh, Amon Kusro from the Path to Glory and uh, Hexes and Warbands, um, you know, podcast and, and blog, Jonathan Davis, um, uh, who am I missing right now? Davey. Yep, Davey, Davey Falcons. Um, just a whole lot of those guys that put in a ton of legwork before us and uh, have really helped boost the game and make it even more of a presence in uh, in all of our lives. So I want to give a quick shout to those guys and appreciation for all their efforts too. Um, with that said, when we went to the ATC, uh, we had two teams from the Atlanta, Georgia meta that went up there and were able to represent, as well as uh, another good friend of ours that came up the next day for the uh, singles tournament. At the ATC, we had two different teams. Uh, Corey, JT, you guys were on one team, and you had Josh as well. Yep. And uh, myself uh, and Blake, uh, or sorry, and, and Eric, and our good buddy Blake uh, had another team. And um, how'd you guys do? Uh, we came in fourth overall. Uh, we ended up representing with some Treeple, some Sky Dwarves for Thundric, and Josh ran... No, no Josh ran the tree That's right, you were a sepulchral guard. I yeah. am so sorry. No. Yeah, that's fault. That's yeah, the, the, the ball's on Corey. Pull out <laughs> sepulchral guard at ATC. Yeah. Um, no, things went well overall. Um, I was the sacrificial lamb for three of our four matches with Molog. Uh, I went up, I took a beating, I took a game here and there, but wasn't too proud of my week. Um, but 
Corey and Josh pulled me up a good bit. I think uh, Corey's guard definitely caught a lot of folks off guard. Hey. <laughs> um, I do definitely agree with that sentiment. Um, I do. My opponents were fantastic. I would love to play them all again at some point. And I think the only reason I won against them was because they kind of got caught sideways by, wait a minute, what? But that was the strength of your guys' team is that, uh, again, kind of playing the meta game, you knew that uh, support regard were not going to be a very well represented faction there, so you were able to kind of catch people off guard. Correct. So, yeah, I mean, it's still a good call on your part. Thanks. Uh, for our team, for myself, uh, Eric and Blake, um, I played Magor's Fiends. Eric? Uh, I played Thunder's Profiteers and... Uh and Blake, um, he did uh, uh, Stormshire's Curse Breakers. I know for our strategy, we kind of went in with the intent of having one player kind of be the aggro player, one be the control player, one be the uh, the uh, yeah the objective player. And really, as we're preparing for it, we realize we might need to focus more on like flex styles. But with the profiteers, they have range. So you guys are the, the range aggro. I was the melee stuff with uh, Magor, so I was the melee aggro. And then uh, Blake kind of took the more passive, magic-oriented, curse-breaker approach. And uh, we did all right. What did we finish? We ended up in eighth overall. Eighth, eighth overall out of, out of 12. 12. Out of 12 teams. Yeah. So not the best. We had a really good start to it. We, uh, you know, we, it, we haven't taken, we didn't take a whole lot of notes on it, so we can't remember everyone's names or their teams and, and whatnot. We played the Huntsville, the guys from Huntsville, Alabama first. That's right. Um, they were great guys. Yeah, really fun to play. Really we, cool guys. We just so happened to be able to take three out of the uh, three games out of the, of the match and uh, took the win. So we started off on a really good leg, but then just all went kind of downhill yeah, after that. We, we played the Wheaties, what is it? Wheaties Box Rejects. They stomped us. Oh, yeah, Duncan yeah. and <clears throat> who else was in there? Uh, so Duncan was the mod player and he was great. Uh, yeah. I think his name is Victor. Was the guy Victor, Victor was and their Curseworker player. Yeah, the main guy was playing the Thorns. Yeah, he was playing God, why am I, I played him in fourth round. Why am I blanking on his name? Oh. Sorry if we can't remember your name right now. He's big at LDO, I can't remember that. Exactly. Yeah. Hold, but, up, hold but, up, Google will be my will be my guide. Yeah. But I also think one of the things that hurt y'all was the BAR that hit just before we went up there. Um, well, I mean, that was only Tome of Offerings, Long Strider. Well, not necessarily the BAR, but the BAR and the FAQ together. But the, the FAQ, FAQ is what affected yeah. Stormsider most. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, that, and that definitely did have an effect on him because he wasn't able to, Blake, no, Blake wasn't able to sit back in the, you know, in the backfield of his board and be able to just cast spells and yeah. do all the shenanigans. So it definitely hurt him. But even with that said, I think a big takeaway that at least I learned, um, seeing how Amon's team, um, the Path to Glory team, they ended up winning him, David Calkins, Jonathan Davis, Amon Kusaro, those guys ended up winning, and they had a really great approach to it, and they really embraced just what where the meta was and kind of riding the edge of the meta. They had Molog, Tom's Molog, yeah, right, which was a huge like was uh, left field for all of us. Twenty eighteen or. Oh, e yeah, the Tome's Molog, definitely. Tom. We, we knew of it because yeah. of, of the Warhammer World Grand yeah. Clash the previous weekend. But none of us played it. But we hadn't played it. We yeah. didn't have any reps against it. Right. It, it blindsided us in practice, for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, and then you had Amon with his Profiteers and... Uh, Jonathan Davis, who played the uh, Iltharis Guardians, aka the Tree People, aka the Treeple. And, uh, you know, those guys had a really good approach to how they wanted to do things. And I think going back on it, 
I chose Magor because I just refuse to play Molog. I personally just detest <laughs> that war band and everything that they are <laughs> and represent. So I want to go with Magors because I also have a soft spot in my heart for all the season one war bands. Um, you know, Eric, you want Profiteers because you're, you're strongest with them. Yeah, they're a, they're a decent war band, more than decent war band. Yeah. Uh, even with the newest BAR, July, which took a little out of them, I still think they're one of the top tier war bands. Right, and uh, and then the Curse Breakers. I think if we can go back, we probably would have chosen one of us to be Molog. Yeah. One of us to be Profiteers, and the other one, you know, could have flexed either way. I personally would have loved to play the God Swarm, but I don't think they were a good fit for that tournament because we had shared too many cards. I think yeah, Profiteers. Yeah, I think with the Profiteers and you yeah. trying to have some range stuff with them, yeah. it would have had a good bit of overlap. Right. So that was that was overall that ATC team tournament, uh, and then the next day we did the singles tournament, which was a lot of fun. You know, got to meet people and, and just have a good time. But that was that was pretty much the the recent events for that. Other than that, we just had a, a tournament out in Kennesaw, Georgia, which uh, Corey you ended up winning that, right? Yes, I did. How'd you win that? Uh, cheating. <laughs> che <laughs> cheating. Apparently, according to like at least a third of people on. The internet. Uh, they're all European. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I ended up winning that Kennesaw tournament with Iron Souls Condemned. 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 Iron Souls. <laughs> Iron Souls. Those guys. Steelhearts 2.0. <laughs> Steelheart. <laughs> yeah, Steelheart. I would argue that Curse Breakers are Steelhearts 2.0 and that Iron Souls are Steelhearts 1.5. Oh, that's a yeah. first I heard that. Um, oh, they are. They. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say this is a great segue into our Dredge fame impressions. Holy cow, right. these warbands are great. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I've noticed a lot of people talking about the lack, or citing the lack of universal cards as a detractor from purchasing. Like, people have actually balked from purchasing Dredge fame because there are no universals for bolstering your other warbands. Um, if you are looking to buy Dredge fame, <clears throat> first of all, what are you doing? Buy Dreadfane. <laughs> Stop humming and hawing about it. Well, you already missed Get. out at this point for a little while. If you're online, yeah. it's sold out. If you're online, it's already sold out. I'm sure Barnes & Noble will restock eventually once they realize they've got some hotcakes on their hands. But until then, if you live near a Barnes & Noble, they will eventually sell them on shelves. I know that they will have a certain amount of stock allocated for this purpose. So definitely go and get it if you haven't already. Reason for this being, we have some warbands that have access to new mechanics that no other warband does that significantly shifts our meta. Um, specifically in Snare. Oh yeah. I do yeah. want to talk about that a bit. That's, but also, that's a great mechanic. Yeah, it's a fantastic <laughs> mechanic. Um, if any of us saw the Nova rulings, um, Nova Open will be allowing Dreadfade warbands for use. Um, JT, who is our local TO, has ruled in at least our area that Dreadfane warbands will not be legal until they are available on shelves at Barnes & Noble, which may or may not be happening because demand is greatly outstripped supply. We also hey. I'm, I'm not going to hold on until they're necessarily in shells, but as long yeah. as we hit the end of the month street date, yeah. I'll, I'll generally be okay with it. The 31st. Yeah, that's the other thing. It's sold out before the actual release date it has did. come up. Just yeah. because the uh, engineers sick at Barnes Noble 
managed to get this in our hands so early doesn't mean that I think some poor schmuck walking in for his once a quarter or once a month tournament should be subjected to Corey and his shenanigans. Here. <laughs> basically, uh, uh, that's basically, solid reasoning. Basically, yeah. everyone at the Kennesaw tournament. It was only a six-man tournament, so it wasn't it wasn't huge. You know, I think I think the majority of people that play this game they have uh, tournaments in their local area that are you know four-man, six-man, eight-man, you know maybe twelve-man or something like that. I think really when you start getting past that 12-man mark, you start getting into the teens. That's when you start getting into a pretty good base of players. Yeah. You know, that's solid. I think at our local, our main local store that we play at called Gigabytes Cafe. Shout out. <laughs> Shout out to Gigabytes. Um, in Marietta, Georgia. They, over there, what, what do we have normally when we run tournaments? Like 12 people? 12 a more? Yeah, 8, eight to 12 is our usual turnout. Yeah. This next one may be slightly bigger. There's been a few people added in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we're trying to really do that ourselves, trying to increase the participation as much as possible by getting other people interested in particularly by going to different stores around our area to play in tournaments such as the one in Kansas. And I think we missed one thing. We did play at Hobby Town USA on Barrett Parkway, just to give a shout out to them for hosting yeah. a tournament. True. Yes. And Big shout out to them. And of course, all the local GW stores uh, that also put on tournaments here and there. Yeah. Lawrenceville and Kennesaw represent? Yep. Or not in Kennesaw, sorry. No, uh, City Walk. Sandy Spring. Sandy Spring. Yeah, Spring. Spring. City Walk. And the one City in Lawrenceville. Walk. City Walk and the Walk Hammer Store. Yeah. 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 That's why there's four of us. Between yeah. all of us, we form one cohesive right. nugget so, of information. I don't know how we're going to feel about language on this podcast. I know Corey's got plans to censor it, but I'm just going to go out on a limb here and defend one of our other local players and say, F this used can of primer. <laughs> oh um, my god. Okay. Uh, a nice army painter. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> so I use army painter. Yeah. I, I've used it plenty. I will defend army painter. Well, army we got to get some context to people listening yeah. to this right now. Yep. All right. So, JT, yeah. yeah. So, uh, two weeks ago, I believe it was, there was a local tournament out of Joe's Garage. Duluth. Yes, Joe's Garage, Duluth ish area. Northeast Atlanta, um, and we had some of our normal locals go, and one of them is in our Discord chat, and he's one of our more vocal members since he can't always get out to the other areas with us. Shout and out to Zach, by the way. Yeah, Zach, Zach Nickham, yeah. the Duke. The Duke. The Duke. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure a couple of you will actually play against Zach in uh, your TTA or your uh, Vassal League. League. Yeah, Bas yeah. Basically, tell, if, you tell play, if you play a dwarf player, uh, Fire Slayers, you know, chosen Axis player on Vassal in that league, chances are it's probably Zach, just FYI. That's <laughs> not to say that Zach's a dwarf, he's actually a pretty tall No, he's actually a quite tall individual. <laughs> but then, uh, the other day, uh, apparently when he was there, he picked up a can of Primer, um, Army Painter, which Corey said, I don't know about Matt and Eric, but I've used it in the past, it's pretty good. I love their discs. I've never used the white, though. I've used the white. I mean, I've used the blue. As far as whites go, I mean, nothing usually beats the GW white unless you're spraying your own. I have conflicting opinions about that, that, but okay. That. Um, but and <laughs> Zach posted up this picture for what pretty much looked like spray foam insulation being sprayed on his models. Boy, Did you call it? Oh, the it's the Stay Puft marshmallow. Yeah, uh, there from, you go. From <laughs> yeah, it looked exactly like the Stay Puft marshmallow. Oh man. And this is, this is Phil Grimner's model okay. that looks like that. By the way, I really want, I still have my Fire Slayers unpainted, but I really want to paint up my Fire Slayers like ancient fossils, so I can call my leader Fossil Fuel. 
Because I'm cooking with gas, baby. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. We'll have to see if that makes the cut. <laughs> it'll make hey, hey, the cut. I'm, I'm editing. Yeah, you're it's editing. It's making the cut. <laughs> but, but no, and I know that was a, a very long tangent, and I apologize. No, um, no, that's well said. Um, but yeah, so I mean, all those different locations we try to go to, and with the Kennesaw tournament, we went there. Uh, Corey, you're able to represent the new um, Stormcast Warbands, Iron Souls Condemners there, and our buddy uh, Blake was able to represent um, Lady Harrow's Mournflight there. Yes. And you two both basically did the best. You had essentially what was the final match between the two of you and representing yourself and your, uh, your Iron Souls Condemners versus his Mournflight. And um, tell us about that game. Um. Iron Souls Condemners were having a bit of a rough time with it, mainly because of Lady Harrow's Mournflight and her mobility. The fact that they can just dart around the board at will, and the fact that they have so many score immediates that really don't rely on combat, that are just incidental, um, make it very hard for a combat-oriented warband like Iron Souls to keep up. Um, they're... I believe was one game where actually it was the first game we tied 10 to 10 and the only reason I won was because I had more fighters than he did he had one I had two that's it um, there were a couple of ties that way in that tournament you know 12 and 12 I ended up losing because my opponent had an objective um, shout out to Chris Camacho by the way mm. bringing or new, Guard. or new players yeah, yeah. representing Spokal Guard yeah um, but uh, Lady Hair's Mourn Fight put up a Mourn Fight. <laughs> Going hard with the The only thing that we had in our favor in particular was the fact that we could output exactly enough damage to kill most of the ghosts, with the exception of Lady Harrow herself. Um, that and I had some particularly lucky board placement, which allowed me to put a lot of my fighters in very close proximity to Lady Harrow. Um, another benefit we had in particular was that uh, the way I built my deck relied a lot on taking damage and then dealing damage back out. Um, cards like Aggressive Defense. Um, there's another card that I'm currently blanking on the name of in Iron Souls that mm. allows you to roll an attack die once you take damage from an attack. Mm. And if you roll a hammer or a crit, you immediately get to take another attack action. It's mm. essentially my turn light, mm -hmm. or um, having a good time, but only when you take damage. <laughs> right. um, being able to dish out twice as much as you take really helped the Iron Souls keep tempo. Mm. Um, however, in a game like I played against JT today, uh, if you do not have that tempo, they crumple. Well, what did uh, JT play today? Skaven's is... Yeah, I was in the Skaven list, the uh, Western Hunger. Oh, so your own brand of it, because I played my version of it today. You yeah. played a different version of it. Yeah. Cool. How'd that yeah. game go? Um, oh, uh, tell, me, tell me from your perspective. I, I mean, from my perspective, the game went great. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I started out uh, with a pretty decent hand for score immediately and whatnot. So, going into the first round, I think I scored three objectives during the activation phase and then yeah. drew into uh, victory after victory mm. on top of that. 
So I was able to snowball, whereas Corey got one victory or one glory point for. Uh, I did not score a single objective in the first round. You did not. You got you got one glory for killing one of the rats. Yeah. Uh, I want to say it was festering, but I can't remember. That looks the same. The really. one, the one <laughs> thing that, that I will say definitely swings things in Iron Soul's favor. By the way, is consistency. They oh, are yeah. going to connect. Yeah, those dice. Great. Absolutely. Unless your opponent rolls a critical defense. Critic. <laughs> so which kind of <laughs> just a little side side segue into why we want to call ourselves crit death. Because uh, that's a playoff of critical defense, which is kind of the bane of all of our existence in uh, the game of Warhammer Underworlds, which is the the single dice critical defense by a fighter that we desperately need to kill. <laughs> so there's so many different stories about that. Namely, the best one being in a local tournament that we played. What was it, like a month ago, maybe a couple weeks yeah, ago? Yeah, another hobby town tournament. Right. With Josh and with Josh, one of our other good uh, good friends, as part of a core group of, of players playing myself and my Magor's Fiends, and uh, Josh was playing Ilthari's Guardians, and what he didn't realize that day is that Magor brought the uh, his, his, his most bestest armor, and he <laughs> rolled approximately, I think, five was, critical I think defenses? It was, yeah, like six or something. It was, it yeah. was five, it was, it was like no lot. crap, like five in a row. And then like one other, like two attacks later. And Josh, I don't know, like Josh is a pretty nice guy, but I don't know if I've ever seen him get that frustrated before in my life. Don't let him fool you. And it was the best <laughs> feeling ever because Josh is a very good and competitive player, so to make him that frustrated was was fantastic. There's a, there's a certain milestone you reach when you beat Josh. <laughs> and it feels good. Sorry, sorry man, it feels real good. <laughs> yep. So, just a running uh, joke in our group. So, the critical defense, aka the crit diff. Yes. Yeah. Crit diff. So, but between being able to get a couple good defense rolls and then being able to sandwich his lone non charged fighter between somebody with expendable and somebody with crown of avarice, <laughs> I put Corey in a rather tough spot. And not on top of that, he's sitting there inspired with a whirlwind cleave attack. Yeah. He's like, he's ready to take him out. He's like, wait. I gain nothing from this. Yeah. I die <laughs> and give up glory at the same yeah. time. Oh, seems well, like a, seems like a bad deal for me. Yeah. yeah. And that's a fantastic idea that I really want to give a shout to uh, Mad Skulls on the yes, Warhammer Underworlds Discord server. And he's also posted a deck guide on uh, Jonathan Davis's Well of Power, which is a, a blog that he currently is developing uh, to really support the overall game and, and provide a lot of resources and, and links to other uh, resources within the community. And that deck is the Festering and Hungering deck um, that Mad Skulls has kind of pioneered this idea that Festering and Hungering in those two fighters in the Skaven Warband, um, Spike Claw's uh, Swarm. That those two, if you put uh, Festering Blades and Black Hunger on them, along with what a, a, I think it was a, uh, any of the combination Nelstone, of Nelson weapons, right? Nelson sword, Nelson spear, weapon, yep. Um, they can output a lot of damage, and then you make them very unattractive to kill themselves by putting Crown of Avarice and Expendable on them, and then you just keep re resurrecting them, and they're just a constant thorn in your opponent's side. And it's a really, really great idea uh, for a deck, and a really great idea to make um, something outside the box, and especially with the current meta the way it is, with magic and range being supreme right now. 
being able to see something that is taking a, a season one warband that is melee dependent and making them work is quite refreshing. So big props to him for doing that, and we've enjoyed uh, messing around with him. Except for Corey, he hasn't enjoyed it. <laughs> I do. I do want to paint a bit of a picture in your mind, real quick, dear listener. Uh, it is round one, activation three, on Matt's turn. Matt is playing against me, the Iron Souls Condemners. The Iron Souls are currently sitting at three damage each because of this exact situation. You rolled into all three of them, they were all sitting one hex away from each other, and you just whirlwinded all of them. I ran, yeah. uh, which one was it? Festering. Yeah. Right? Hunger. Or Hunger. Yeah, because yeah. he's the one with the... Black with Hunger. The, yeah, Black yeah. Hunger. Yeah. I ran Hungry into the middle of all three Condemners and did just a suicide attack on all of them. Happened to pull off three damage on every single one of them. Yes. And we so, have... If you can imagine, I was sweating bullets at that point. I was just like, oh, oh dear God. Oh, jeez. This little insane rat just runs up. You die now, shit. And starts stabbing people's ankles and knees. The build is really powerful against uh, close range warbands. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Very much so. Yeah. Well, so even, even range warbands, because we're on the Avarice. Crown of Avarice expendable. and Expendable have no range limit. So, no, right? no, yeah, yeah. so you put those two in your front lines and walk them towards whatever range. Right. Even if they get killed, they pop up in your opponent's territory. They just yeah. come right back. And right. That, was, that was something that I was messing around with today. I kind of subbed in and out a couple cards based off of my preference for how I like to play and kind of things that I saw as improvements versus you know things that maybe I can try out so I put in um, spiteful charm today and while I played Blake's Molog I was able to beat him two to one in a you know best of three match and I was able to take away his uh, tome of offerings because of spiteful uh, spiteful uh, charm yeah so it was an interesting card, and that's something that's not limited to range either. So it's not just range uh, that's able to you know beat them in melee that is susceptible to them. I think they're, it's a really good overall deck, a really cool idea. So, um, some other Dreadfane impressions that I just want to touch on real quick. The, the rules. Yes. Yeah. So, as a TO and a avid rules lawyer, <laughs> I love the new keywords they have introduced. Very much so. The duel, the scything. Yeah. Um, what's the score? Surge. 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 Thank yeah. you. I've been Surge. using that already. <laughs> yeah. No, That's the, a thing. Those are great. Um, those will help us simplify a lot of mechanics and things like that. Um, they are starting to, it, it's still not quite as well done as the community driven one, um, but they're narrowing in on the reaction window, timing chart, things like that. So they have a combat flow chart they do. in the rule book, yep. which is fantastic. I really hope for the next season they take that just one step further exactly. and do what, um, I was trying to who, it who, who, who was it? Uh, yeah, John, uh, no, not Jonathan uh, Davis. Oh, oh. John Juan Rees, yes. sorry, John Juan Rees, man. Um, yeah, big shout out to him too. Fantastic player out of the UK. But he has an amazing blog um, called Can You Roll Crit? And on there, he broke down uh, kind of the reaction windows. And he had a flow chart that he created that listed each one of the steps with correlating uh, number and you know, letter uh, you know, labels, essentially, to, to, to signify where those windows were. I really hope that GW, with this next season, is able to take that same flow chart and correlate those steps 
to the actual reaction windows themselves on the cards and say this reaction is reaction window one or two or whatever so that way there's no more confusion. I, yeah. I do have a side tangent on that when we wrap up this particular art, Dread Fan Impressions, I do want to touch on the design of Oof. Underworlds. Oh, sounds good. Um, but yeah, so as, as a rules lawyer, as a frequent organizer of tournaments, I definitely appreciate where Dread Fan is at least pointing us towards for season three. Um, but because I am a curmudgeon, I'm going to uh, <laughs> defer to Corey, Matt, and Eric on the actual contents otherwise thereof, because I'm the one saying, August 31st, you can use them in tournaments. <laughs> I mean, so, yeah. I, I mean, quite honestly, I have no problem with that one as far as it comes to, to you know, higher level competition games, because that's only fair. Yeah, I do want to be clear that the only reason I played Iron Souls on the 31st, or on the, at the Kennesaw tournament, is because RTO specifically said that they were allowed. Therefore, I kind of build a deck, man. <laughs> oh, I know, um, but at the same time, it's just, I, I have, GW has put anybody running a tournament in a hard position, especially after their Warhammer community announcement that clarified absolutely nothing as to the legalities in organized play. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but um, as far as Corey's new favorite keyword and the cards within the set, I'm gonna leave that over to... Sure. New favorite keyword, ensnare. Oh my god. <laughs> um, cleave for dodge is so insane. Right. Because until... Up until now, dodge has been kind of the only the only reason you would take a dodge warband is because this is all crap. I'm drinking a beer right now, fellow listeners, and JT is making fun of me because I pour out my my beer hard to release the carbon so it doesn't release in my stomach. And this, he's this beer is half head right now. <laughs> it's gonna dissipate, don't worry. Yeah, yeah. No, we Corey you. gets in you please. You're a seasoned drinker. That's all right. Wait, you're forgiven. Um, up until now we've dodges have been given the benefit of multiple attack or multiple defense dice. Uh, and then given the general consensus of it is cleave proof. You can't bypass dodges. Sure, they're harder to hit, or harder to actually successfully roll, but you can't bypass them at all. And Snare completely throws that out the window. Well, there are two upgrades. Uh, seeking Stones, yes. and what's everyone seeking? Uh, no, Stranglethorn Arrow. Stranglethorn Arrow. No, well, there's another. There's two seeking upgrades. Oh, right. Seeking stones, which is a range one, yeah. and seeking blades, maybe. It's which seeking is, which is stuff. A, it's being able to right. uh, catch the person who's trying to dodge. Right, you. and it's cleave for 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 dodge base uh, defenses, which is a fantastic idea. But that's not heavily featured in the game overall until now. Yes, I think with Dreadfane is hinting as in this next season, you will see fighters with the ensnare ability on their fighter card. And I mean, I, I, I think this is a perfect point, point out, time to point out, ensnare and beast grave, the correlation yes. cannot be overlooked. Right. Correct. I think there's a lot of stuff that we're seeing in Dreadfane that we are likely to see carried over into beast grave. Right. Especially the, the language. Clear uh, for the Morn flight, I don't know if it's rules being written for a warband or a warband getting better defense because of the rules but the two uh the two uh dodge on them is just ridiculous sometimes right oh, yeah. um 
as we've noticed in the couple of games that we've done for testing, we've done quite a bit of testing with them in the little amount of time that we've had them on our hands. Uh, Mournflight, at this particular time, are, are potent. They are very, very good. Right. But um, it is of the opinion that we have that they are just a snapshot of what Beastgrave has to offer. And not only will Beastgrave have more of this, but they will also have countermeasures against it. So, that being said, hold on to your butts. These next two months are going to be really wild. Well, right. let's take a second and address this then, because yes. this is a very potent topic, especially with just having had Gen Con this past weekend. Mm. I think what Corey just described, whether inadvertently or not, is power creep. Oh, yeah. Um, and so let's talk about Beastgrave, what that's going to come up with, whereas... Uh, Garrick's Reavers just came out at the top of yeah, Gen Con. Yeah, Gen Con, which, uh, you know, just a quick shout out to, uh, yeah, I think it's Jimmy. Um, Jimmy! Jimmy, Jimmy Molini. Um, I think your name is James, but I've seen people call you Jimmy on, on Facebook stuff. So, a shout out to you, man, for winning Gen Con uh, with Garrick's Reavers. Huge props because that is a war band many people wrote off. I just want to say that I did not write them off back in the day. That was my first uh, war band that I piloted and took a lot of passion in and won my first uh, Shake Glass tournament back in, it was like October, November last year, yeah, whatever yeah. it was. I, I lost yeah. to you in that tournament. Yeah. yeah, Matt, yeah, Matt was into North Georgia riding some Reavers. Yeah. yeah, I just came in there, blood for the blood god. So, fellow blood warrior brother, congrats. Um, but yeah, that, that touches on a huge thing right now, which is the current meta and what the state of the game is with the season one versus the season two warbands, the power creep that's coming in there, the BAR, it's a whole can of worms. Who wants to tackle this first? Oh dear God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> whole can of worms indeed. Um, I counter your power creep claim and... Uh, uh, I'm not saying that there's power creep. I, I attest that Nightfall is actually kind of the baseline that the developers for Underworlds kind of wanted to set for themselves, but we've noticed that the developers themselves in multiple interviews have stated that they made some mistakes. Um, there have been more additions to the FAQs, there have been more banded restrictives than there were in the first season. In fact, we did not even have a banded restrictive list in the first season. Um, which notes that developers were trying a lot of new things and not everything worked out. What we're hoping is the case is that uh, developers took that into consideration and are now developing a new season. We know that this season is developed all at once, so every single warband we have will be balancing each other out in some fashion. Granted, we won't all see it at once, but we must trust ourselves in the wider plan. Um, trust in the cataphranes. Custom, yeah. <laughs> trust, trust in the cataphranes, hope everything works out, but I do have faith in GW that they will at least put out a somewhat balanced season three. Right. At least balanced within its own parameters. I, I fully agree with that. I am more concerned with how it's going to play with seasons one and two, right. as we've seen. Season two, I'm not saying this objectively, it's not even my personal opinion, but there was a recent poll in one of the Facebook communities of how does season two power level compare to season one. Yeah. And the overwhelming majority thought that season two was a higher baseline. Correct. Yeah. And so if season three is ratcheting up another notch or even just balanced within itself, 
we got to consider how do one, two, and three play together, and what considerations might GW bring to the table? And that's the thing is that I think naturally you're going to have power creep because you want to create a you know business model that's going to entice people to buy the newest and best thing. Because like, oh man, like I used to play the Fire Slayers, but now I got these gun doors, and they're even better. So it entices you to want to get the newest and best thing. So I think it's only natural. There's going to be a, a little bit of power creep. I just hope, again, what you're saying, that GW recognizes that and mitigates that to a certain degree so that way there's not so much that they're no longer you know, in the same leagues, really. Uh, Tony Field is, is another prominent member of the Warhammer Underworld Society, or, you know, society, uh, community. And, uh, you know, I saw a couple of his comments today on the Facebook uh, forums, it's like that, talking about the whole season one versus season two stuff. And I believe it was him, sorry if it, if it wasn't you, but I believe it was him that said that there's about a 40 to 60% range or gap between any one warband to another, saying that that's their likelihood that they can win the spread, so, so, so to speak. And that really is, is narrowed, that spread, based off the BAR and based off of efforts that GW's trying to take to make sure that certain warbands aren't too strong, aren't, aren't too overpowered. So, commend, you know, um, you know, props to, to GW for taking those measures, but still we'd like to see that not have to be a thing and that warbands and cards are developed more bounds to well, get go well, off the get go. I, I, I'm not opposed to the BAR. Um, actually, I'm, I'm kind of opposed to the B. The AR is okay. Um, <laughs> it's a necessary, yeah, necessary. Well, we yeah. haven't had much added to the band after. No, we haven't. Really, there's like one card added. There are a few egregious cards. Um, but my actually my bigger concern personally going into season three isn't necessarily the balance because they've proven one and two has been relatively good. I think they're going to take it well with three, especially since they're considering OP as part of their model. Um, but the cost to enter, that's where yes. I think season three needs to readjust a baseline because right. somebody wants to get in with this. You can't say, oh, you just need this $60 box. No, you need the $60 box, those $30 boxes, this $80 box. Yeah. So, another $20 pack of cards at the end of the season. Yeah. Right. So, shout out to Canon, you know, for every single, you know, whoever here wants to comment on this. Do you guys think the season one universals or warbands in general or anything part of season one should be banned in order to start helping out new players enter the game? You can't ban the models and GW's not going to ban the models yeah. because they've yeah. invested money in a mold. Yeah. That's probably not yeah. going to happen. Models, models Cards, are though, are up in the air, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I can see um, that. That might not necessarily be the case. They may ban the warbands, but keep the easy-to-build kits around. Yeah. Because they just brought them in the Age of Sigmar with their own kids. Yes. Um, there's one thing I do want to note, and that is the LCG business model. Uh, for a lot of people who play Underworlds, Underworlds is your first card game. Underworlds may be your first miniatures game. You may not have played any other game before this, but believe me, when there are people who complain about the price to entry, it's not unheard of. It's not uncommon. It's not even the most expensive. It's it's not, and I, I won't disagree with that. So I, prior to joining Warhammer Underworlds, I was large in the X-Wing scene as well. And I was talking to uh, my friend Josh, uh, one of the other Luton players, and I made the comment that I actually believe that Underworlds, even with two full seasons into us, is cheaper to buy into than X-Wing at this point. Because X-Wing, you have to buy a ship for a card, and that's a $15 ship. 
Yeah. Um, and then in the extreme circumstances, you had the epic ships where you had to buy a hundred dollar Imperial Ra Raider just to get Emperor Palpatine. Right. I remember that. <laughs> um, so. I don't think GW's crossed any enormous threshold, but at the same time, being a local champion trying to promote the game and get new players in, it is a hurdle for somebody that's only done board games or some form of card games, yeah. well, not necessarily the heavy hitters. Well, let's look at, uh, for example, any LCG, living card game, that's produced by Fantasy Flight Games right now. Um, a, a cycle in a LCG consists of six packs of 60 cards plus a deluxe of 120 cards. That's one year's worth of product. The deluxe is usually worth 30 with each subsequent pack worth $15 a pop. That's 120 bucks yeah. a year. That's about how much money you're spending on war bands, if I'm correct? Oh, uh, it's a little more. 160? No, it's 60 plus 6 by yeah. 30, so it's 240. It's a double. Yeah. That's still money for both 60 cards per expansion. Don't forget your single $25 board. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Living that no board purchase life over here. Yeah. You don't only need Only core set boards. I think if you're going to be playing no. competitively, you need them. Probably. Yeah. But that's And that's no. the thing about Warhammer Underworlds is that they really are are targeting those players that I think uh, they don't have a foothold really established in you know the the AOS type of world and like the tabletop wargaming world um, as much as other games, uh, and that's kind of how they got me. You know, I didn't I didn't start out playing that type of stuff, but they also cater to the players that want to be competitive and want to you know they they push that saying this is the what the the most competitive ever ultra whatever whatever it is their slogan is yeah um, saying the that, ultimate competitive yeah, miniatures game there first year was the ultimate skirmish game of the yes yeah. <laughs> okay. and then they realized they were competitive <laughs> so uh, that, to, to be competitive though you have to own all the things but that's a funny yes. point because right now how many of the boards that have been made over the past two years are actually available for purchase currently you can in stock and still in production you can only buy the boards in the night vault kit and Correct. I can't remember the expansion. It's one expansion board. Not so, the Shattered City. No, I can't remember the name. Forbidden of the Chambers. Forbidden Chambers. Yes. That's, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. the rest of them are direct orders from the GW website. They are, but I don't believe they're production. I didn't think you could no. get them still. I didn't know. No, you can still. As far as I know, with power of the internet, we can find out. But last I checked, you could still order the Shadespire boards from their website. Um, and if you'll notice, Dreadfane comes with Shadespire dice. <laughs> Yeah, 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 they are labeled Shadespire dice. But it also comes with illegal objective token placement. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's very illegal. I, I don't have a good response to that. Other than, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's for new people. Yeah, I mean. That's not going to make the cut. We're going to cut that out. No, 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 absolutely. <laughs> Hubris, my friend. Um, well, yeah. So. Um, Besides that, I mean, so the, the whole BAR and the season one versus season two debate is like that. It's I feel like recently uh, that's been raging online, right? Is, is season one better than season two, or, or oh, sorry, vice versa? Season two better than season one, and the BAR has helped balance that back out. And and I don't know. Is there any other points to make on that? I don't know. Do developers I, acknowledging mistakes. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say I think from all the releases that they put out about Beastgrave. They think it's the most balanced version 
that they can make so far. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that they also, from what they've said, are trying to tighten up the rules, tighten up everything. We don't know what that's going to look like in the end. Yes. But hopefully they act on it. Yes. The one thing that I think they do need to do a slightly better job of for for uh, entry-level players is when you have a banned and restricted list that's this freaking long now, which I'm doing some hand signs here. He's holding his hands about a foot apart. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's that's a barrier, barrier to entry to new players. Even if they have the money to buy all the cards, now they got to go find a supplement. Yeah, I do remember... I've had a couple people complain to me already. I remember it was in the early days of the BAR, but somebody to one of the tournaments brought one of the banned cards, and I had to be like, mm, you need to replace that real quick. And, um, yeah. and one of the earliest tournaments I went to at a local shop in Kent called Dragon's Eye Games. Dragon's Eye, shout out! Yeah, everyone everyone showed up with a deck that probably had at least one too many restricted cards and they had to go back through their collection and fix some things beforehand. That's right! But that was, that was a lot of people's first time around. It was yeah. a great tournament, about 12 people. But, Good. That's uh, what I like to hear. Yeah, yeah. But that is a barrier to entry to yes. any new player, which yeah. as a newer player myself, I don't find it that bad, but I know people do. Hmm. Yeah. Right, well that's, well that's also another thing about this game is that it is marketed as the uh, you know, ultimate competitive game, but you do not have to play it competitively. Yes. You can play it as long as your local group of friends or you yeah. and whoever your playing partner is or whoever it is um, that you play with agree to it, you can make up whatever rules you want. Well, before <laughs> Warcry came out this previous week, it was your option for a small game in the AOS setting for a lot of people. Yes. So that's true. I do. I do want to circle back to the casual nature of this game, and circle back to Dreadfane. Hmm. This is why Dreadfane would be such a good purchase. Hmm. Yeah. Granted, yep. there are there are going to be at least ten listeners here who are going to say support your local game store. Yes, absolutely support your local game but store. But your local game store can't get Dreadfane. Correct. But I'm saying buy Dreadfane anyway. Because it is a fantastic, fantastic casual product for everyone involved. Grab your kids, grab your wife, <laughs> take it to the local game store and get other people into other worlds. Yeah, there's, exactly. there's a couple points I want to make on Dreadfane real quick before we move on and you know it's lost to the, the echoes, uh, echoes of time. Yeah, yeah. But um, into the family. Yeah. Heather. One is the fact that there's uh, 60 cards missing from the Dreadfane card collection, right? If you look at the actual cards on there, what is it, 60? It's missing it, all uh, the new cards. It's 124, 124 yeah. cards out of the collection. And you have 60 of them currently. So I have, 64. I have, 64, yeah. yeah right. I have a theory about that. Um, we've talked when, about this. Few yes, we have. We've, talk, we've chatted about it a bunch online, and a bunch of other people have chatted about it online. Um, we will be getting a supplement, I'm sure, of just the neutral cards, um, only in the US and Germany. And it will be called Echo Do- Echoes of Dread or something. I don't know. But it will be sold. <laughs> Dread Pain Unbound. Yeah, Dread Pain Unbound. There we go. But and then they'll immediately all get to the bar. <laughs> it'll, it'll get announced. Dread Pain Bang. Uh, <laughs> Have you guys seen the salt about that? That's oh, hilarious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's another talking point for later. Yeah. But the, the salt over Power Unbound getting banned like a month after release. We're not banned, but yeah, we're restricted like half the cards. Yeah, not banned, yeah, restricted. The salt over that is, <laughs> it's, is high. Um, but going back on what we think the distribution will be, I'm pretty sure they're going to do a supplement that will be sold through Barnes & Noble and marketed as an expansion to Dreadfane, not as, you know, oh, here are all the cards that we should have thrown in the box. Um, but for everyone else who wasn't able to get Dreadfane overseas, um, 
I guess we're overseas. The UK is the local one here. So, so I think actually the even in the regions where Dreadfane is available, we're still going to see the warbands pop up. Oh, absolutely. no, they're, yeah. they're okay. so, so in in the UK, in oh, yeah, the rest they, of they Europe, everything else. I think, yeah. I think Barnes and Noble has some sort of copyright deal going on right now. Yeah, so Bar- Barnes and Noble has a deal with GW where GW designs a certain amount of uh, exclusive games for them every year. Last year we got Blitz Bowl and Space, Space Marine, Marine Adventures. Adventures which got no fanfare whatsoever from GW. I don't know why. Dreadfane didn't really either. Did, Dreadfane didn't until the Oops, day it's out. out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, the announcement was basically, oops, it's out. Hey guys, you can use this if if you if, want. If, if you want, I guess. <laughs> if Attila says it's okay and you're in a country released, you're yeah. like whispering to each other, like, did we release that? Yeah. <laughs> did, did we really design this? <laughs> Is this a thing? Well, that was the same way at the uh, ATC when they revealed the Cypher Lords. We were, yeah. Yeah. we were sitting in this little room. For Warcry, yeah. And yeah. one of the game devs was there doing the big reveal, talking it up and stuff, and the little PR guy was sitting in the corner giving the, the leg shake. Huge. Yeah. <laughs> Do they yeah. know this? Are they allowed to know this? Yeah. Is, is, is this real? Yeah. Is this real? Is it just an illusion? Don't get fired for saying this. Did, did I spend all night painting this in a hotel room before today? Who knows? Um, but yeah. So yeah, that is uh, you know just kind of circling back around those sixty cards that are missing. You know, there's plenty of speculation as to what will happen. To that I think a lot of people are speculating that will be released in individual card pack or possibly later on when they release those warbands on their own and their own little expansions. They'll include maybe those like, those cards. What do you guys I say? have argued with more than one person now that yeah. thinks you will only be able to get them through the uh, warband release, and if they do that, GW will be. In a, not the greatest on that. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise yeah. me, but at the same time, uh, the Echoes of Glory was split between Reavers and uh, Steelhearts yeah. in the Nightbolt release for them. Yeah, but there was a difference, and that was a direct addition to Underworlds, yes. where yes. this is more of a corollary edition. But what I'm saying is, when they release these warbands individually, yeah. They'll have half of the 60 cards, and yep. maybe alongside the full release of these warbands, then you get the yeah. no, Dreadfane Unbound. That's what we're yeah. calling it now. Yeah. Mm. Dreadfane Unbound. Um, yeah. um, let's take this opportunity to cycle into Warcry a little bit. Well, real quick. Oh, okay. The, no, only, the only thing I wanted to say, because I know if I don't say it now, we're going to forget about it. Gonna go. We're going to be super excited about Warcry. But okay. um, with the Dreadfane stuff, just seeing how many great and useful. Uh, warband or fashion specific cards that are in that 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 set really gives me personally, and I hope a lot of other players hope that for the upcoming seasons, uh, GW starts really honing in on warband specific cards to make mm-hmm. those warbands unique on their own, so that we stop seeing as much universal stagnation, right? Where you just see basically yeah. the same handful of cards recycled between Ray warbands. Fraction. Right, Ray Fraction. I will say, it, it, yeah, building, exactly. a, building an Iron Souls deck was really refreshing. Mm. It, looking at all of your options and going, I actually kind of want to play these cards. Seriously. Oh my god. <laughs> um, and looking at your power deck and realizing that about 30 to 40 percent is faction-specific cards. Looking at your objective deck and looking at at least four of the 12 being faction-specific. That's fantastic. And I'm really looking forward to seeing a similar spread, if not a greater spread, in Beastgrave. Hopefully. I think, specifically on the uh, Mirmorn plate, 
the one card that lets them score at the end of a turn, or not a turn, a phase for being on two objectives, yeah. like even or odd or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And the yeah. and the one card that came out in Power Unbound for Storm Sires that lets you score at the end of the phase right. shows a promising future for objective for hold, play. Hold objective yeah. play. I, I'm a Make big hold objective great again. There you go. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the idea of just simply holding more objectives than your opponent's scoring, which is something we see in Dreadfane. I'm a big fan of the Mirrenmorn Banshees being scoring a, a score immediately objective for simply moving through a certain amount of objectives. Yep. Yeah. That that's mind blowing in terms of <laughs> how much design space there is left mm -hmm. in the underworld system. Oh yeah. And it's creative it's a creative way to still make objective tokens relevant. Because that's I mean right now really what makes object, uh, objective tokens relevant if you're not the uh, you know Sepulchral Guard or uh, Thorns of the Briar Queen, it's Family Crystal. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. really it. Yeah. <laughs> if well, it was an that. Axis. And, uh, what's an Axis? Yeah, sure. What's no, what's the uh, the triple card? Oh, um, uh, Re Reclaim the Lamentier. There we go. Yeah, yeah that, that's the other one that makes it meaningful. I've seen that yeah. come out of a lot of decks, though, so, because how so many, many people, people were playing play. against yeah. it and just slapping an extra objective. Oh, yeah, I know, I know me. Like, once I realized yeah, that yeah. was a thing, I'm like, yeah, well, I'm going to put yeah. at least an extra one or two objectives on your that's side because you're you. That's you know? when I play tree, tree people. I always play, um, what is it, Scorched Earth? Yep. And I always yep. play both of the cards available to us that destroy objectives. No, right. Because that allows us to kind of counter that strategy of like, oh, I know you're going to do and, you know, such and such. But Josh, it does take up a point. And Josh, who was playing Othar's Guardians uh, for a while, he started doing this leveling thing where it's like, you're at this level, I'm going to think this level. I'm thinking, oh, you're thinking I'm at this level. I'm gonna this. So he started playing, what's uh, making a statement, right? Yeah. Yep. Own all the objectives in your opponent's territory. Yep. So you would put all your objective tokens in his side, thinking that he's going to try to score a uh, reclaim momentary, and then he'd fade way onto that one objective or however he got there. And score like three glory because of uh, that. <laughs> yeah. So again, screw you, Josh. That's why we call ourselves Crit Death. <laughs> he he tried to convince me to run that card so hard. He did. And let me tell you, he and I are not on the same wavelength. It and that's okay. Hey, he scored uh, on me, so props to him for that. Yeah. Some it's something that where I think you can only really score it in one game. If you're playing a best of three, your opponent will know. Um, right. And you can't really play both of them in your deck competitively yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's just such a gamble. You're not, right. you know, you're taking exactly. a big chunk of your glory. Yeah. Uh, Re your Reclaim is a little more consistent, I feel. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for me at least, I don't know about you guys, that kind of wraps up my ideas for like Dreadfane and for Warhammer Underworlds as a whole right now. I know there's plenty of more subject we can touch on in the future, but Warcry. Well, before we move on, just earlier today, Supposed dates did drop for Beast Grave. Yes. We don't need to go into any details or any speculation on it today. But September 21st is supposed to be the pre-order, which will be the 28th the release date. So mark the calendars, folks. Huzzah! <laughs> All right, War Cry. War Cry. <laughs> Shiny new toy. Shiny new toys. Um, having playing a bunch of games of Underworlds and then having people walk up to us with a box of Warcry in their hands, going, "Can I play with you guys?" <laughs> Makes it seem a little weird. Has that happened? Yeah, oh, it yeah. happened at the Hobby Town tournament. Uh, there, there was a guy walking up to us during one of our games, and I was kind of showing him the ropes as as I was playing. I think else. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. and uh, he walks up to me, and then he goes, "So if I buy that, I should be able to play." And he points to this the big Warcry star. I'm like, 
It's a different game, bro. No. <laughs> but no. Code to Gigabytes will play either game. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. So that's how we got a new player that day, is I was able to talk him through stuff. But Warcry, it's the big shiny new toy. Everybody goes, oh my god, new skirmish game from uh, from GW. GW. With, with Chaos. I'm all about that life. I'm all about that chaos life. I want to play some cypher lords and some snake people and. Hey, I'm, I'm all about Snapeple. I yeah. like them. <laughs> I want to be a crow person. Crowbles. Like. <laughs> Crowbles. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um, we have finally gotten our hands on some boxes, as have everybody else, because it's a general release item, and we're not special in any way, shape, or form. Um, and we've finally gotten in some games. How do we feel about it? I am loving it. It's a breath of yeah. fresh air for me. Yes, I seriously. think. I think there's a good competitive aspect that can exist there. Yes. But at the same time, they took the idea of very little opponent interaction from something like Privateers games. Yes. Where the turn is mostly dominated, or your activation is mostly dominated by you and no opponent interaction. Yeah. And it feels good, not just in the no interaction, but more the streamlinedness. <laughs> yes. I'm not saying I don't want to interact with my opponent because that's. Just, you know, at least thirty percent of why we play the game. Right. Just for kind of a generalization for comparable products, I guess. I haven't actually played a game of Warcry yet. I own the starter. We're gonna start to get into it. Yeah. Um. You're you're in the fold. Get on. Yeah. It. But uh, compared to say Games Workshop's other skirmish game that's offered, but maybe in a forty k setting, uh, Kill Team. Is it is it more competitive than Kill Team or less competitive than Kill Team? I think it's differently competitive. Okay. So they don't have the same line item customization that you do in Kill Team. Yep. It's a model by model basis in this yep. case. Yep. But I think I think the, the cards that do that actually make it more accessible to Underworlds players yep. to begin with. Yep, the cards are great. The initiative system that they came up with for Warcry, I am loving. The six yep. dice, and you use some for your abilities, and when you can't use for your abilities, guess what? The more you suck at rolling those dice, the more likely you are to go first. Yes. It makes not rolling well actually matter <laughs> in more ways than just failure. Uh, I like that. Yes. <laughs> oh, I, lo I love it. As somebody who says the original crit death. Yeah, yeah. Says, that's the original crit death. Um, I will say though, it does scratch some particular itches, mainly the itch to play Yahtzee. Um, <laughs> big old handful of dice for you. Big full hand handful of dice. But as somebody who does play a lot of different skirmish systems, as somebody who looks at a skirmish game and goes, ooh, new shiny toy, it does leave some to be desired. I'm not sure yet. I don't think I've gotten in enough games where I can really nail down what makes this game special, apart from its activation system and resource system. Um, but until then, I'm kind of reserving my judgment. Um, yeah. I'm going to play it. I'm going to build this for it. I'm going to paint Warbands for it, which is a sign of commitment. But it's not going to be my sole thing. Well, as someone that comes from a uh, non-tabletop wargaming side, and really Warhammer Underworlds uh, is my, my first big game I got into, to me, it's it's awesome. And that's something that you and I, Corey, we talked about a little bit earlier, is that uh, depending on uh, you know, what perspective you're coming at from, it can make a difference in your opinion. For me, at least, it seems like a fantastic game. It's very easy to learn, it's very fast, and it's, it's super fun and very refreshing, as JT was saying from, I think, at least the Warhammer Underworlds perspective, because in Warhammer Underworlds you have hexes, you're kind of limited to where you can put your fighters, 
in this, like, if you want to hide a guy behind a wall, you can hide him behind the wall. You know, if you want to move him over here, you can move him over there. There's just different elements to it that you don't get in Warhammer Underworlds that makes it very refreshing, but still has that same feel of the skirmish and, like, melee fantasy type uh, tabletop war game. It's really, really cool. So I enjoy it a lot. I'm definitely going to be getting into it. I am very appreciative of how easy to get into it is. Um, I did like doing a cursory glance over components, not even reading the rulebook yet, and being able to halfway figure out how the game plays based on you know, former GW products, former experience with other games, and just looking at it and going, okay, this makes sense. It's not archaic, it's not a million charts to look over. Uh, it's some very yeah. easy things to memorize. And it's really great to just get it and play. Which is also another thing, there's no deck building. Yes. <laughs> <Right>? I, <laughs> I think one fun. thing that but. you may be going far and beyond is there is a certain number of people that will just play this game because, like myself, I love all the GW skirmish and anything small, I can just get a little chunk of an army and play. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I agree. They're counting on that one. Yeah. Um, Come on, you get a little more than a chunk. Well, no, no, see. <laughs> I've got a Warband. I'm going to build a Warcry Warband. I might as well just go with an AOS. I probably will not. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. like with Kill Team, and I have a million tiny little Kill Teams, uh, probably will stay at the Skirmish level. Okay, skirmish. Skirmish is just great. I will say, though, I'm starting to build Iron Jaws for Kill... Uh, for It's not Kill Team. For War. Warcry. And I'm starting to think of a thousand point list for AOS. <laughs> oh, no. And exactly. I'm looking, I'm going, oh, Gordrak looks like a really nice, oh, he's like 400 and something points? I guess I gotta go up to 2,000 then, huh? Oh, it's oh, yeah. 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 yeah, until eventually <laughs> turns into an AOS game. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, uh, backtracking a little bit to Corey's point about the simplification in, of the game into Warcry. To gone are the to hit moon tables of yesteryear where it's thank god twice your toughness plus one is a two all that stuff is gone now not equal it's either a three or five depending on if it's easier or harder but at the same time they threw in this deployment twist which yeah. is confusing the hell out of some people yeah. you have your shield you have your hammer you have your dagger that was one stumbling point for me in the demo game you ran against me like couple hours ago. So it's easy to grasp though once you like just, just do it. Game. Is. From yeah. someone who has not played and has read the rule book, in my mind it is you take up to but less than half of your warband and no one can have more than That's half. Yeah. Than half. And then your your shield is it the shield, the second one, has to have three three. At least a no at least, or a, at least a third. At least a third. So, yeah. 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 For, for example, if I'm running Iron Golem, which is one of the two starters, you'd have to split your force 3-2-2, three, two, two, right? Or 3-2-2? Three, no, three. you could do 3-3-1. Three, 3-3-1? Three, one. Three, three, one? Yeah. Okay. All right. If you really wanted to. I suppose. And then on the map, there's certain, uh, on your deployments, there's laid out where it's like round yep. two, round three. Yep. That's something where we were talking peripherals way at the beginning of this episode. 100% I'll be designing short sword, dagger, yeah. shield. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of room for improvement in how we categorize it because just because I lay out my sword, my shield, my, um, damn it, not sword, my dagger, my shield, my hammer <laughs> at the beginning of the game, by the time I actually get to deployment, uh, which one was which? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So that, that's one aspect that I think is a lot of customization in it. Um, another one is going to be oh the God. activation process. Because one, one sec. One sec. 
Okay. <laughs> Go again. I was just making sure we were good with phones. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, no, uh, I think another aspect where customization, customization can come in big in is the activation process because right now, as Corey pointed out, he had one card for two of his Iron Golem fighters. And so the traditional idea of tapping the card didn't work because you only activated one of them. Um, so I'm thinking of personally owning something more of the Imperial Assault style where I have an individual activation for each card that I can flip over every time I activate that Don't fight. they have tokens that you put on the board like Kill Team though? Those are, they have the weight tokens. Yeah, that's what it is, the weight token. So they have the weight, but it, so Saturday when we were doing our release day uh, activities, we did use the weight tokens, the other side with the red X is that, but it definitely would be easier if we do it on a card. Right. Um, and going back to Curifs, I'm definitely thinking of a dashboard for Warcry. Uh, I'm thinking four spaces in a vertical line with each of those being labeled as dagger, shield, and hammer. And then you'll be able to arrange them as you see fit, stick whichever cards you like into those particular groups, and then you have some easy tracking to work with. Yeah. Well, either way, I think it's a pretty cool game. I think we're all looking forward to it. I think all the members of uh, the Warhammer Underworlds community have something to look forward to if they want to jump into that, or if not, if like, Warhammer Underworlds is your main thing, stick with it, you know, keep rolling those crits. Or at least trying to, in my case. Um, you definitely do. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's why with my Godsworn, I, I mitigate my my terrible luck by trying to throw as many extra dice back, uh, cards as I can. But that's a topic for a different episode. Um, so for at least myself, from my notes, that's kind of all I got right now. Is there anything else that we're missing that you guys want to cover? I think we've covered a lot. Of yeah, information so. we yeah. have. There's always more to cover. We've got more games to get in. We've got more things to test, more builds. I've got a couple deck lists that I'd like to give a shot by next week. You know, oh, yeah. We'll have a little more to talk about. And one thing I would definitely like to do personally, I've been uh, running that Festering and Hungering Skaven deck that we've seen online. Mm -hmm. I know JT you have as well. If you guys got decks out there that you want to run, um, you know, you can post them to Well of Power uh, and, and Jonathan Davis's website. Throw them on there with a deck guide. Throw them on the Warhammer Underworlds Discord server. Something that you think is pretty neat outside the box that you want to get more people trying out. We'll try give it a go and let you know what we think about it here on the show. Well, from all of us here at Cryptocast, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>